Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome those joining us online and in person. And we will, in a second, practice the rule of life. Some silence and solitude before we start today. You can be seated. (laughs) Should we just stand today? Let's bow our heads and exhale. Okay, just let it out, let it out. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. All the automatic thoughts, ruminating thoughts, all the harassing thoughts, Lord, we give them to you in the house of God. And inhale the transcending peace of God and the presence of God. The word promises us that when we supplicate our anxieties, although our circumstances might not change immediately, a garrison, a fortress of God's peace will come guard at our hearts and minds. February 20th, Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. Learn to live from your true center in me. I reside in the deepest depths of your being, in the eternal union with your spirit. It is at this deep eternal union that my peace reigns continually. You will not find lasting peace in the world around you, in circumstances, or in human relationships. The external world is always in flux under the curse of death and decay. But there is a gold mine of peace deep within you, waiting to be tapped. Take the time to delve into the riches of my residing presence. I want to live increasingly from your real center, where my love has an eternal grip on you. I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. All God's people pray. Amen. So today I want to explore, as we approach Lent in two weeks, and just stay with me for a minute, they will connect. I want to explore South Korea's drinking culture, the insanity of South Korean's drinking culture, our individual and collective coping mechanisms when we're under stress and grief, and the the Lenten season and the opportunity it affords us. Let's put this picture up here. First, South Korea's drinking culture. Sai, who became a global phenom with Gangnam Style, which has the most, I think, views on YouTube ever. When I was watching Gangnam Style in, a movie, uh, Bridget Jones having a baby, that I was like, wow, this has gone viral, really. But uh, this seven years ago, Sai did another song called uh, Hangover, which sort of embodies Korea. And Sai um, tells a story at, at, at a speech in the Oxford Union. You see, I mean, can you imagine Sai at Oxford? But he was at a hall giving a speech. And he said that he actually studied in the States. He studied at Berkeley. School of Music, Uh, and on the first day, he wanted to celebrate with his friends, his roommates, and they said, hey, they they asked Sai, Sai, do you drink? Sai's like, yeah. (laughs) He goes, and then Sai said, let's play a drinking game, and everybody's like, yeah, we're game, man, and so Sai started, you know, went out, bought some soju, bought some other stuff, and they started drinking. 
And, and so I was like, wow, this is really fun. America is going to be really fun. About five hours later, the first day or the first week at Berkeley, the ambulance arrived. Every single person in his dorm, especially his roommates, had alcohol poisoning. And so I was like, I thought you drink, you know? Well, what happened? Well, what his roommates didn't understand at Berkeley was that Korea drinks 14 shots of hard liquor per week. Tell someone else, 14. Do you know how many Russians drink? Six. You know how much Americans drink? Three. Weak sauce. In America, if you drank 14 hard shots of, that's just hard shots of liquor, we would consider you an alcoholic. In Korea, you're normal. This pervasive drinking culture in Korea is simply nominal, ubiquitous now. Korea has the most alcoholics in the world. They drink the most. They're very proud of it. We're very proud of it. I'm not, but, you know, I'm Korean, so I'll take credit for that. But this drinking culture in transitioning to the way we cope. I mean, Korea is 51, 55 million people in an island, peninsula, like Manhattan, where people are competing relentlessly, the pressures and the heartbreak and the grief of that ensues every day, competing for entrance exams and competing for jobs in the corporation is so arduous and so painstakingly difficult that people have turned to a destructive and maladaptive form of coping in binge drinking. And if you look at the stats by Sai and Snoop, by the way, the Super Bowl was awesome this past year because I actually knew who they were. <laughs> Until I knew, I knew something was wrong when my wife was dancing. She's like, oh, this is really good this time. I know Eminem. <laughs> She's like, I was like, we're old, I think. This, this is what it means. But um, that's a bunny trail. But anyway, coming to uh, the Korean Herald reported about the relationship between alcohol and all kinds of devastating ails in Korea. Alcohol is linked to about 100% of all sexual violence in Korea, related to domestic violence in Korea. But not only in Korea, in the US, 100% of all rape-related violence in the Ivy Tower to all the universities in the United States is linked to alcohol, substance. So apparently the way we cope, even the culture of binge drinking, and maybe some of you who cope by drinking or other substances, not judging. Tell someone, I'm not judging you. I just, I just want you to let you know right now that Jesus... Uh, I don't tell people not to drink. This is not about substance abuse, okay? okay? But if you are struggling, please ask for help. I just wanted you to know Jesus, at the seventh day, Jewish weddings are seven days long. He created more alcohol on the seventh day. That wasn't responsible of him, I think. But it means that we're not, we're not taking away from the celebration and, and great moments where you celebrate with people with champagne and wine and whatever at a wedding. We're not talking about being a killjoy. We're just saying that this form of coping is a way of coping. It's just destructive, maladaptive, but it's coping. It's the way cultures cope. It's the way individuals cope with the pressures of life. So Korea, U.S., drinking take the edge off or forgetting or trying to numb the pain, substances are very effective in the short term. So that's why we come to the season of Lent and the opportunity it affords us. Jesus begins his ministry fasting 40 days in a supernatural manner and the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. Why? 
Because in South Korea, there are the default, that default, when we go back to something to cope, to survive, is what we call a default, is failing us. And Korea has a hard time with how to solve the problem. The answer is Jesus. Yes, I know. We'll get to that. But in the gospel. But the defaults are failing. The U.S., the defaults are failing as well. Is there the defaults are the things that we turn to, to cope, to survive, to get through the day, to get through the night. And sometimes the defaults give us short-term relief, alleviates whatever we might be feeling. But in the long term, it doesn't solve problems. And that's why in Jesus' ministry, the Lent is moving away, what? From the defaults. That's why Jesus moves away from Jerusalem, moves away from Rome, moves away from whatever we consider wisdom, whatever coping that the world offers. And Jesus goes away. Because when you don't just fast food during Lent, and you begin to fast defaults instead, you're you're taking a shortcut from wasting time, and you're going directly to the source. Tell someone next to you, directly to the source. And then if you wonder why I keep, and you go, are we children? Why keep telling us to repeat after you? If you really want to know, it's a technique. It's called candy. You don't know if someone's falling asleep next to you. You don't know if they're extroverts and they have all these energy pent up and they just can't be around introverts the whole time. It's a way to get you to participate in God's mission. That's why I do it. I actually don't like doing it. But I do it because it's effective. So stay with me when I say it, all right? So Jesus is not fasting food. He's fasting the defaults. The defaults in our world are failing in politics, in medicine. The opiate crisis is out of control because in the 1990s, we started prescribing opioids. And eventually, what did it do? People became addicted. And now we have a problem on our hands. So all the defaults are failing. So if all the defaults are failing, stop going to the defaults. Fast the defaults. It's a shortcut to go to the ancient source. That's what Jesus does. Jesus goes away from the distractions of the culture of his day, and he goes directly to the fountain of all life. Amen? That's what Lent is an opportunity. It's all about. It's an opportunity to go directly to the source. The source of all life, all truth, and all power. Go directly to God. And sometimes fasting could be a substitute for the actual presence of God because you're just fasting and participating as a Christian in the tradition of Lent. Don't. Because that's just dieting. It'll be physically beneficial for you for a while, but it won't transfer your soul. So this year, I want us to reimagine Lent. To not fast food, but fast defaults. And that's what we want to identify today. What are our defaults? Like I said, defaults are a shortcut to the actual source. Defaults help us expose and identify areas in our life where we are independent from God. Areas where we are really the hero of our own journey, where we are God, where we try to tranquilize the anxiety and fear in our own lives, where we don't turn to Him because we want the control and we don't want to feel out of control. Therefore, idols begin to accumulate in our lives. And Lent affords the opportunity to smash those idols and those defaults and allow the Spirit of God to partner with us for the next 40 days in powerful, unimaginable ways. And that's what I want us to reimagine for Lent this year. What would happen if we fasted our defaults and began to pray short bursts of prayer to God and with each other? What could happen in 40 days? You know what happened to Jesus? He started a ministry that would change history forever. It would push human rights 
women's rights, children's rights, all kinds of rights. The Imago Dei, the image of God, forward in ways no one could even conceive, and it started in the wilderness. And I pray and invite all of us to do that this year in the next 40 days as we begin the Lenten season. So let's go to this passage, and then we're going to tackle this question. So how do we not just fast food, but fast our defaults? So this is what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18. I want you to read it with me. Do not get drunk on... Tell someone that, don't get drunk. We might forgive you at a wedding if you're over 21. We understand you're partying. Jesus did perpetu- in, in perpetuity created unlimited flows of alcohol, even though I believe that's irresponsible. How would they drive their camels back home? I mean, it's dangerous for the camels, right? I mean, I'm not saying don't drink or we're against drinking in any way, but Paul has a context for, he doesn't say don't drink The prohibition is don't get drunk on wine when there's something better. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to what? Debauchery. Have you had drinking ever led to debauchery in your life? Don't answer that. Tell that to your smart Which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you can read this and be like, well, yeah, that's common sense. You know, getting drunk is not a good thing, but getting drunk is a form of coping in developed countries. It is to numb the pain, to get through the night, to numb the grief. It's a form of coping. But Paul goes deeper into the idea of debauchery in Ephesus and Corinth, in the major cities in Asia Minor, in Jesus, in Paul's time, after Jesus' death and resurrection. There were, what, a Hellenistic culture around Rome, and in the temples, There was massive drinking and temple prostitution. So when you hear the word debauchery, it's not like you go in a club over here, okay? It's not like New York, it's worse. It's a lot more seductive and a lot crazier. The parties today don't do what they used to do in Asia Minor, Corinth, at all. These guys were the real pagans. I mean, they started started the whole idea of binge drinking. And then Paul says, I want to go down just to help you see the influence of the culture as a a way of coping with the pressures of life. And Paul says this from the beginning of Ephesians 5. He says, but among you, there must be not even a what? A hint of sexual morality. Got really silent all of a sudden. (laughs) Sorry. Among you, there, well, I remember when I was a teenager, we used to read this. The hint of sexual morality. Oh, Lord. <laughs> All the guys were like, is that possible? Not a hint? Not even like a little? Not even poquito? Like, not, not even a little hint of sexual morality? Like, come on. How's that even possible? But back then, we didn't understand the original context. God's not talking about sexual desire. God's not talking about um, biology. God design sex and sexuality before even theology. That's in your gender and your propensity. But what Paul is talking about sexual morality and debauchery is he's talking about the influence of the culture, which, which is temple prostitution, sexual acts in the temple that was rampant in the day. And drinking would what? Proliferate those desires and the temptations. It's not talking about having sexual desire. So, see, everybody's like, well, thank God. Not even hint the sexual morality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, or out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, verse 5 is important, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater. So the word right there, idolatry at the temple. So that's what Paul's talking about, the influence of coping in the culture. So we have to 
check the influence because a lot of times our default, if we want to fast them, we have to identify them. Well, what's wrong with that, people say? What's wrong with drinking a little alcohol to take the edge off? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Tell someone this, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if you're an alcoholic, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> some of you know your propensity toward alcohol. Some of you guys drink too much. This, this message might be a way the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you. Fast alcohol for Lent. And if you feel really resistant to that, you should really take it into consideration. That's probably the Spirit prompting you. But it's the way the culture copes. It's, and it moves and influences our collective consciousness. For example, even though the U.S. drinks about five times less than Korea, three times less than Russia, recently we legalized, in most states, cannabis. Now, let's move down here. Cannabis, ha- I mean, millennials, millennials have been arguing and pushing for legalization of cannabis for about 20 years, 30 years now. And especially in New York, during the height of the pandemic, Como signed into law, you can recreationally use cannabis like alcohol. Now, some people are like, yes, I could be Harold and Kumar now. Because Harold and Kumar is all about, the cultural influence is about getting high on purpose, for purpose. A lot of times in millennial culture, getting high is the goal. Dude, I just want to retire and get high in my house. That's your purpose? I can't see a better purpose than that. Getting on high on purpose, for purpose. It's influence. Now, the, Paul tells us in in the epistles, everything is permissible but not beneficial. Now, people have asked me, and people have asked me in the last 10 years, so what do you think about this, Doc? Is it sin? No. After March 2021, 20, anyone consuming cannabis in New York or Jersey, they're a little more pagan, 2022 they legalized it. It's not sin, but it's a form of coping. And you have to think about like Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Medical studies are still trying to quantify enough data about the long effects. Same thing happened with cigarettes back in the day. But move down here. The potential risk of self-medication with marijuana, cannabis. There's a psychological dependence. There's increased need. There's long-term memory loss and higher levels psychiatric disorders and medically scientifically proven that cannabis can help mitigate anxiety in the short term but most medical journals point to in the long term can have worse effects bring depression back anxiety back in worse ways adverse ways I mean there is no other developed country besides Canada that has legalized cannabis and there's few others but Canada legalized everything except conservatism if you're conservative you shouldn't live in Canada but that's besides the point when culture pushes public opinion and public policy to the brink the question I have for you is is it really wise to legalize cannabis at the height of the pandemic, when we have an opioid crisis, we have a mental health crisis, we have a loneliness crisis, basically people can get high to medicate themselves during a really rough time. I'm not sure if that's the, the most wise time. I, I understand the social justice lens of legalizing cannabis in the U.S. We can't prosecute everybody that does it because everybody does it. And... It's systematic, uh, systematically racist. Most people prosecuted for, can- for weed are people of color. So therefore, legalizing, I think it has a benefit to that. But when the world moves this way, you have to stop and be like, where is this influence coming from? It's permissible, but it's beneficial. And that's why Paul says, don't get drunk 
or intoxicated by what the culture offers you, what is in front of you, but rather get drunk in the Spirit. But rather, before you can even get God, you have to identify what you're going to. And cannabis or alcohol or substances might not be your thing. It might be something else. I don't know what it is, and I pray the Spirit would show you. But the first way to fast default is what? Read it with me. You got to what? You got to identify it. So what are they? What are our defaults? What do we turn to during stress and grief? That's your default. And a default is a shortcut to see the idols in a Christian's life. If you're turning to anything else but God, that's an idol. You know what emotional an affair is, adultery is in a marriage? When you share the most vulnerable things to someone else. Not your spouse, but to another partner. That's an emotional affair. So when in the Christian life, the deepest, darkest pain is medicated with something other than the Father, that's adultery, that's idolatry. Because we believe axiomatically that that is what's gonna alleviate the pain or assuage the pain. And that is really at the heart of what Len affords us, this opportunity to see the defaults, to see the idols in our lives. And I pray the Spirit would help you in the next two weeks to listen to the Spirit, lead you into the wilderness to fast. What are the defaults? Don't fast food, fast the defaults. In fact, eat. Eat as much as you want. Fast the defaults. Because if you fast the defaults, you don't have to fast. I hate fasting so much, I learned to shortcut it. Thank you very much. How to fast by not fasting. Okay, write a book. I pray the Spirit will show you your defaults. Because that's the point of Jesus' fast during the Lenten season. It's shortcutting through the copings and maladaptive ways we cope apart from God and learning a new dependency on the Spirit and partnering with Him to change our lives. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I pray for whatever coping that's destructive in your life, for the short term or the long term, I pray the Spirit would come in a powerful way during Lent, and you would experience the presence of God like you never have before. Amen? And I pray the Spirit would show you. So that's the first thing. Identify it. Identify the default. Second, let's move down here. So, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. Obviously, we're going to have stressful events and losses and grief in our lives. Uh, which leads to debauchery, he says, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And in Greek, that's an imperative, which means being filled with the Spirit and the Christian life are inseparable. It's a command to be filled. It's not even optional. And why sometimes in the Christian life, why so many people falter and feel like it's not working and experience an existential crisis or some people call it deconstruction, it's because there is no filling of the Spirit. How can you live the gospel out without God? How can you be saved without God? How can you be healed without God? You can't. That's why it's not working. You might be Christian by name, but you're atheist in practice. So Paul says, replace it with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Look at someone next to you. I want you to sing to them right now. Serenade them right now. That's uncomfortable, right? You know when that's, you know when, you know why people drink in Korea and here in social gatherings? Koreans are extremely awkward people. They can only talk to each other when they're drunk, especially 
in workplaces. That, that's what surveys have said. We can't talk to our elders because there's so many formalities. Koreans drink so much, there's a formality of drinking. There are rules to drinking. If you're older, younger, the way you pour, the, I don't even know how to do it. In, 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 um, in, in Korean couples, they have lists of they have to be able to drink or they won't, be get, they won't get promoted. So when we come, come to this place, we have to replace it with something stronger. Vulnerability happens when you're filled by something, a substance. So human nature, we are influenced whether we know it or not. So God said, Paul says, you need another influence. Either you get God or culture. There's no other way. There's nothing in between. And let me tell you, when you're filled with the Spirit, and many of you have been filled with the Spirit, right? When you're filled with the Spirit, you love everybody. I remember during retreats, when that's the only time we're filled with the Spirit, because basically they force you to pray for four or five days and sing songs. You're like, I love you, bro. I love you. I forgive you. And then we go back, and it's like, I hate you. But during those four or five days, we're like, I'll do anything for you. I will die for you. I will wash your feet because you're filled with spirit. But the, the, the crazy thing is church has created a culture where you're filled with spirit only for a few days. And you don't do life together. And so Paul is, Paul is actually depicting a ritual of drunkenness in God. And the overflow of that abundance of the presence of God flows out of our lives. It's called overflow. I mean, you can't love yourself without God's love. How can you love others without God's love? So God's love is poured out, immersed. I mean, I think about some of the baptisms we had recently. And, and a, a, long, a baptism a long time ago, there's Kago's baptism. That was like seven, eight years ago. Kago's like a veteran. I mean... I remember being back here and people were praying behind him. And soon as people started praying, everybody lost it. I mean, one person didn't even come to our church. I think she became an atheist. But she was crying. I'm like, why are you crying? I have no idea. She was like praying and crying because something was taking place where the Spirit of God was filling. There was a filling. When we prayed together, we, we take this act for granted. When we touch and pray for one another, something happens in the Spirit, folks. A power. During the baptisms that we recently had, people online said, I've never cried that much. They said, is this our church? Is this another church? Because this, this is so powerful. These people are here. People were crying and grateful. Why? Because what? The Spirit of God was flowing. How do we maintain in perpetuity that culture of praying together, being in the Spirit together, bonding in the Spirit together? That's the goal. Refusing the defaults, fasting a default, and replacing it with God and the fountain of our life. Amen? So the second way we can fast our defaults is what? Replace it. With short prayers to God, alone and together. That's the goal of Easter. And I'm telling you, once you experience Christian community in a biblical framework, and you experience the drunkenness, really, this is leading to, it doesn't lead to debauchery, it leads to life change. It leads to change families. It leads to change marriages. It leads to flourishing in people's lives. That community is at the heart of the Christian life. Doing it together, experiencing it together, is the call. Once you have that, you don't need the other stuff. But it will require vulnerability, folks. How many people here like being vulnerable? Raise your hand if you like being vulnerable. What do you mean? You too. You're my son, so you're, that's good. I taught you that. <laughs> but no one likes being vulnerable, but during, during 
Lent, one of the things I want us to do as a way to attack our own pride and arrogance for self-reliance and independence is to ask for prayers by text, phone calls, in person, to ask for help. How many people like asking for help? No, we don't. Which is the paradox of the Christian life. God's power moves in weakness. It's made perfect in weakness, but we don't like it. We like self-reliance and self-independence. That's why we go to the substances, because we can control it. John Eldridge calls it the less wild lovers, right? Because we can control these things and put them away. They're Jesus-sized pockets, you know, pocket Jesus. They're really superstition. You can control them and put it in your pocket when you're supposed to surrender your life to the hands of Jesus because it's wild, it's vulnerable. To surrender to each other and to surrender to God is difficult, but that's part of the process. So during Easter, don't just fast default. Turn to God, the Father, and turn to one another, especially for prayer. A text. Hey, say say these words. I'm really down today. I'm going through this today. Can you pray? Can we pray together right now? That discipline will change the course of our lives if we can turn it into a habit. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. So Lent this year, I pray that we would reimagine it. We'll partner with the Spirit to fast our defaults. What are they? What do we turn to? In our own independence from God and community and self-isolation, these maladaptive, destructive ways of coping that might relieve and alleviate in the short term whatever we might be going through. They're creating habits of destruction in our lives, in our marriages, to our families, and to the world. What can we replace them, replace them with this year? to be filled with the Spirit. That's what we're going to pray right now. So will you lift your hands to the Lord? And I want you to look at your hands and and imagine surrendering to God your defaults. Shortcutting right away in the next, when Lent starts, the 40 days, and say, God, I, I really, this year, I don't want to fast food. I actually want to fast a default. I want to fast the defaults. Spirit, show and expose and identify in my life the defaults. Now, if you're drinking to to knock the edge off as a form of coping, that's permissible, but it might not be the best way. Or whatever else. Say, God, help me go to the source of all life. And I pray that we would partner together in the next 40 days during Lent where I would let you win into my life and you would transform those parts of my life. Parts that I have a hard time surrendering. Pride I have a hard time letting down. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come in power. Change my heart. Change my I want to live heart. for you, my God. I want to live for you.
of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is exponential change. We are living in times where we have advanced beyond our imagination in technological advances, medical advances, yet most of our world are failing. Our defaults, our politics, Everything around us is faltering. That hasn't changed in the first century in Jesus' time or ours. Yet the call of Lent remains the same. Let's just drop the defaults. a shortcut to the source and dig the wells from the very source of life, God's presence, through prayer and fasting and partner with the Spirit of God to begin a journey that can change our lives and the world around us. For Jesus, it inaugurated the change of history, the change of times, the end of the Roman era to the Christian era. A revolution of love, a movement of change. That same power affords us during Lent. For those of us that question if God's power is real at all, what a moment to take the challenge and the invitation. So why don't you find out for yourself this Lenten season? Amen? So let me tell you this, guys. Sometimes my son tells me, Dad, I prayed and nothing happened. Okay, the whole point of letting go of your defaults is not trying to be your own God. Be like, well, I think it should work like this and this time, this framework. The point of letting go and letting God, I know it's cliche, but is allowing God to be God. Sometimes it won't happen in 30 seconds. 
for 15 seconds, okay? God is not the internet or your smartphone. God is the Almighty. And this is why it's important during Lent for us not to pray alone, but in vulnerability, pray with each other. Even the confession of our own struggles, exposing them makes it lose its power. Because a lot of times, the destructive, maladaptive behaviors, a lot of times really a battle of shame. We don't want other people to see us less than we are, or worse than we are. And we're afraid of how people might see us. So the whole point of Christianity, folks, the whole point of the gospel, is that he came to save those who are what? Sick, broken, and sinful. We're all sinners. Tell someone that, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. You're like, but, but I am. That's what, so that power and that resistance is what we're trying to break during Lent. To weaken its, the power of the defaults and allow the Spirit of God to move. So pray alone and then pray together. Let's bow our heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's good to see all of you guys here on this nice and snowy Sunday. For those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things. And again, it's so good to see all of you guys here today. Before we get started, we just have uh, some community news that we want to share with everybody. We're going to start off with tithes and offering. And for all of our members here, we want to remind and encourage you to continue to keep God at the center of everything, including your finances. You can make an offering through any of the electronic means uh, above. And if you're a visitor here, you guys are our guests, you guys are our visitor, there's no financial obligation to be here. But if you feel led to make an offering, you're more than welcome to do so at any of the means above as well. Our next announcement is about, is about the Bible Reading Group, which you can find on Instagram or Tumblr at 180BRG. And this is a great resource for us to get God's Word daily into our lives, whether we start the day whether, with it, whether we power through the afternoon with it, or whether it's a refreshing, quieting moment before we go to sleep at night to just bask in God's Word and really see what His promises are for us. And again, this is a great resource to bring that into our lives. We post just a chapter of the Bible every day on these uh um, outlets and uh, again you can find it on Instagram or Tumblr at 180BRG. Our next announcement is about the different ways that we can come together and pray and as Dr. Sammy has been preaching uh, over the last few weeks prayer is so important and vital to our lives and it's important uh, not only for ourselves but for those that we care about for those that we're concerned about and this is a great resource for those times when we want to pray for others and lift others up and that we don't want to do it alone but we do it in community. Uh, at 5397 prayer you can send a text to our prayer team or you can do it through email at prayer at 180church.tv and again this is a great resource for those times where either we're going through something in our lives or for those that we care about our friends our family our co-workers our loved ones where we can lift them up but not just lift them up alone but lift them up with the community and again uh, it's 5397 prayer or prayer at 180church.tv and we also have our house of prayer which we start at about 11:40 every sunday and it's a great time to just quiet ourselves from all of the busyness all the insanity all the craziness of the week and just ready ourselves to hear God's word. And we do that right here in the theater again at 1140. And uh, speaking of all the ways that we can pray and uh, do that, we uh, have all of these different devotionals which we've been going into through this year uh, that you can find at the 180 Cafe. Um, all of these are available for you guys. And again, Dr. Sammy has been talking about the ways that we can pray and the ways that we can you know, center our lives in Christ. And these have been a great resource for a lot of people to just spend time every day just with a short moment of prayer, of devotion to really connect with God. Uh, again, you can find all of these at the uh, 180 Cafe. Uh, it's on the honor system, so you can pick it up and then you can just Venmo us at Church 180 or at QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv. 
Next, we have all of the ways that we're connected on social media. Uh, we have a number of Instagram handles. We have uh, 180 Church, 180 BRG, as I mentioned before, and 180 Fellowship for our college ministry. We have our YouTube page at 180 Church NYC. Dr. Sammy has his Twitter page at uh, Dr. Sammy Kim. We have our Facebook page at 180 Church. And lastly, we have our Tumblr page again, 180BRG for the Bible Reading Group. And these are a great number of ways where we can come together online to keep up to date on everything that's going on in the church and to just come together and pray and do all these things together, again, in the context of community so that we're not doing life alone, but we're keeping together in community through all of these means. And on that note, um, we know that not everybody can make it here every single Sunday. So we do have our live stream available every Sunday uh, on our YouTube page at 180 Church NYC. And it starts every Sunday at about 10 after 12. And again, this is a great resource for if you can't make it here on a Sunday or if you're inviting a friend out and they're just a little bit nervous about showing up in person, this is a great way to bring church to them, to help them start their journey in Christ. So again, it's on our uh, YouTube page at 180 Church NYC. Next, we have all of our small groups, which are where we come together in the middle of the week to go deeper into Dr. Sammy's sermon, to see where we're going in life, to see where Christ is calling us in life. And again, I've said it so many times today, it feels like it's becoming a catchphrase, but it's where we do it in community, where we do it together, where we're friends along the journey in where Christ is bringing us. And it's also a great way, if you're beginning your journey in Christ, to talk to people about where they've started and how they've been progressing in their relationship with Christ. We have the adult groups, which meet every Wednesday at 7.30, the young adult groups, which meet on Thursdays at 7.30, and we have the 180 Fellowship College group, which meets on Mondays at 7.30. And many of these are meeting online and virtually, so if you're interested in joining, come see me or any of the greeters in the blue shirts and we'll get you connected. Next, we have a number of ways that we're looking for people to help us in uh, many of the ministries we have here at 180 Church. One of them is the children's ministry. And we have so many kids running around here now, it's starting to feel like we're getting a little outnumbered by them. <laughs> and we need some people to help us with starting their journey in Christ and uh, giving them a foundation for who God is. If you're interested in joining that, you can talk with Pastor Lydia or you can talk with Michelle Kim and they'll get you plugged in. Next, we have the 180 Cafe, which is a great time to just grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in the morning. And we are looking for people to help out with that as well. And this is just a great place for, you know, being that first point of contact with people as they come in. And if you're interested in joining that, you can talk to Danny O or Wendy Lee. Or if that's not uh, up your alley, we just have our greeters, which really are the first point of contact, the people that are the friendly faces to welcome people. And many of us are here because someone was friendly and said, welcome. You're welcome here. We want to know all about you and help you on your journey in Christ and all of that stuff. And uh, if you're interested in joining that, again, you can talk with Danny O or Wendy Lee. Those are all of our announcements today.